This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about the 12 debt do's and don'ts from licensed insolvency trustee Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. We're going to learn 12 debt, what 12 things that debt experts do, the do's and the don'ts for better managing your debt and avoiding common pitfalls because we know that they exist. So Blair's going to share the 12 debt expert tips for regaining control of your debt and avoid those pitfalls and debt traps. And Blair, you and your team from Sands and Associates help people all around the province who are looking for solutions to deal with their debt. What are some of the reasons people might be seeking a licensed insolvency trustee? You know, there's a ton of different reasons that bring someone to our doors. Quite often, it's a life event. It's something that happened, you know, oftentimes people were going along just fine. And then maybe there was a massive global pandemic, for example, which we're seeing a ton of the impact of that now. Uh, Or maybe they lost their job or they got sick or a family member got sick um, or they got divorced. You know, any of those really critical life events where oftentimes the finances take a hit and maybe, you know, you have to rely on emergency funds if they're there. Uh, If they're not there, well, then oftentimes people start relying on credit. And then once you get into that cycle of borrowing, it can be very difficult to break that cycle and get out of it. So the reasons why people come to a trustee, they're diverse, they're, you know, as as many different reasons as there are people, but it's usually there's some external shock to the system. There's something that's put the person in a tough situation and they just need some help to move forward. And I think too, you know, I just want to throw in the fact that a licensed insolvency trustee is regulated and empowered to do so much more than than all the other debt uh, debt help experts that we talk about regularly on the show. And and I just want to remind folks of that. Yeah, that's so important, Elaine. It's it. I say this all the time, but the consumer-friendly uh, debt regulations in Canada are amongst the best in the world. We have great legislation to help give people protection, to protect their wages, to help get them restructure their debts, get out of debt without bankruptcy, but you have to know about them, and you have to know which professional is going to help you access them, and a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that's enabled to use this legislation to help you get a fresh start. So as long as you're dealing with a trustee, you're going to get access to some of the best consumer protection legislation I think that exists around the world. Wow, that's really, that's very cool to know. Uh, and it also brings us nicely to the first one. And, that, and it wasn't really planned, but we really need to be careful about where we get our debt advice from. That's so true, Elaine. So, um, you know, if you had a medical problem, you'd want to go to the right specialist that's a, that's in that area, dental problem, same type of thing. When it comes to debt, if you're seeing a, a debt help professional, you have to make sure it's truly the right one. And not all professionals within the financial sector, even within the financial debt help sector, um, are created equal. So you need to make sure you are reaching out to a specific licensed insolvency trustee if it's a debt issue. If you have questions about insurance, investments, you know, different things, you go to different professionals 
professionals, but the one person you need to know if it's a debt situation is an LIT, licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, quite often, people will end up getting advice from various people in their lives. So it's often, you know, very well-intentioned uh, friends and family, um, and they're trying to do the best for you, but they might not have all of the facts. So you really do need to make sure um, that even though, you know, great personal relationships are one thing, but you're getting the right professional advice to help you deal with the tough situation. Um, also, as you start to look online, it can feel completely overwhelming. Uh, you will find consultants that say they'll help you to navigate the situation. They'll get in between you and a trustee and represent you. Uh, my advice is never engage with those types of services and certainly don't pay. Every trustee in Canada offers a free confidential consultation. Um, and generally, especially at Sands and Associates, you'll know from the start that we're committed to your success, not here to judge you, just here to help you get the help that you need. Yeah, I think that's really important. If somebody's offering you advice and you have to pay for it, yeah, it doesn't sound like that would be good advice. Yeah, and there's often a lot of misleading claims, a lot of high-pressured sales tactics, advertising, you know, claimings for instant credit repair and, you know, restructure your debts with no impact to your credit. Uh, I'm sorry, but that just does not exist. So, you know, there's a lot of laws about truth in advertising, but they don't seem to apply in the debt marketplace. So it really is buyer beware. And if it sounds too good to be true, uh, it generally is. And always check it with a licensed insolvency trustee. So if you still think that you want to go it alone, we're going to talk about that in our in the next segment. Uh, but if you already know that you need some help and you need to talk to somebody federally regulated who's going to help you in such a significant, uh, structured way, you want to call Sands & Associates. And this is their number. It's 1-800-661-3030. So let's say, Blair, I come to you and say, you know what? I think I want to go it alone. What, what would be your, your first couple of things that you would, that you would want, want me to know before I walked out your door? Yeah, you know, a couple of really key things. And definitely if someone feels they can get out of a debt problem under their own steam, that's great. We're here as a resource, but it doesn't mean everybody has to take a professional debt restructuring solution just by meeting with us. So if you want to do it yourself, my biggest piece of advice um, is the whole idea. If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. And when it comes to credit, you got to stop using your credit. So I've seen too many times when people say, okay, we're going to get a consolidation loan. Uh, they've got the consolidation loan and all those cards that were consolidated they didn't stop using them. And then suddenly they've got a consolidation loan. And then a couple of years later, those balances are back up. So you really need to make sure that if it's a, a temporary event that triggered your use, the, your need to use credit, that you're through that event, that you know you're going to be able to have a budget that balances on a monthly basis. If there's still a gap in your budget, um, it requires you to use credit every month. Well, then you're not setting yourself up for long-term success. So you have to be in a position where you can stop using any new credit and pay down that old debt if you're going to have any success in a self-directed strategy. Cool. What about getting organized? I would think that that would be something that I would have to do pretty quick off the off the top. Yeah, that's that's important. And, you know, sometimes that can feel daunting for somebody, but you really need to, to have a clear picture of the numbers. You need to have an inventory of how much you owe to who, what are the payment dates, what are the total balances, the monthly payment requirements, even the small bills like a cell phone. If that's neglected, well, not only might they cut you off, but they're the first ones to ding your credit and anything negative on your credit can be there for years. So you really want to make sure that you're organized, you know when things are due. And then I also recommend you check your credit history at least once a year. I don't think you should pay any fees for this. Um, both credit bureaus will send you a, a hard copy report once a year at no charge. And then you want to make sure there's nothing on there that you don't recognize. 
and your debts that you're you know successfully paying down, you're getting the benefit of that by having those reflecting on your credit report. So not something you need to monitor every month or even every six months, but I'd say at least once a year, um, take a look at your long form credit report. It always surprises me when I hear from people. I don't hear it too much anymore, but I remember when I was working regularly in an office full of people, some people never did their taxes. And I just thought, mm -hmm. that seems crazy to me <laughs> that you wouldn't fill your, you know, file your income tax every year. But lots of folks don't do it. Yeah. And I know for myself, I start to get the shakes if I'm getting close to April and I don't have things already <laughs> submitted to, to the accountants. But, you know, that's just me in the world that I live in. Um, oh. you, know, like, you know, very close people to me in my life, they file their taxes about every three years. And even though wow. they get refunds and they're giving the government, you know, an interest-free loan for three years, it's just that much of an emotional burden. So I understand, you know, people can have certain mental blocks when it comes to taxes, um, but you really do need to just, you know, take that bite every year, whether it's working with an accountant or downloading, um, you know, the software, you can buy the tax software at Costco for pretty darn cheap and get most tax returns done in 20 or 30 minutes. Um, but if you don't do it, you can find yourself in very stressful situations like you're scrambling scrambling to receive benefits you're entitled to. Um, I had one client who has some severe medical costs, hasn't filed his taxes in a few years, and he's threatening to be cut off from the provincial pharmacare subsidy. So he's got to get those taxes done really quickly. Um, and even if you owe CRA money, it's still in your interest to file. CRA looks at compliance as their number one aspect. And if you're compliance, even if you have a balance owing with them, but you filed all the returns, you're going to get a whole lot better treatment than somebody who doesn't file the returns for many years. CRA figures out they owe them money and takes harder steps against the non-filer than the person that did actually satisfy that requirement each year. Okay. Um, the, the idea of making monthly payments on credit cards or, or mistaking minimum monthly payments is what I meant to say, minimum monthly payments, uh, thinking that you're getting ahead, that's the exact opposite. You, you mm -hmm. just so aren't. And I think that's such an important thing for folks to really look at. Yeah. And this I overhear all the time just in conversation. And obviously, I, I want to be not the guy that jumps into other people's conversation, but just the amount of times I hear people say, oh, yeah, I've got a balance, but it's okay. I pay the minimum each month. I'm fine. My credit rating is fine. I probably heard that, you know, 10 times in just the last few months. Um, and it's the whole idea of you're, you're doing something, but are or, you know, you're taking an action, but are you actually achieving anything? And when someone starts to look at where does your minimum payment go, it's often 90 to 95% of that minimum payment is just clearing the interest each month and you will literally be in debt for decades. So don't confuse activity with achievement. Just because you're making those minimum payments, you might not be moving yourself closer to getting out of debt in any reasonable time frame. Can you explain that rule of 60? I think this is always interesting when I hear it and, and it makes such good sense. Yeah, this is a really good, you know, 30 second check that you can do just to see, okay, am I in a situation where I would need some debt help? And the whole idea is to take all of your non-mortgage or non-car loan debt, essentially your unsecured debts like credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, so on and so forth, and divide that by 60. And that would be the payment you would have to make if you forgot about all interest charges to get you out of debt within five years. If it works out and you say, oh yeah, that's a payment that I can, I can easily do. Okay, well then even if you're paying some interest, as long as you're able to make that payment, you're not gonna be in debt for decades, you might be okay. As soon as you start to look at that payment, you say, oh my gosh, for me to be out of debt in five years, it's gonna take this amount per month and I can't even pay close to that amount. That's a great indication that you would benefit from speaking with a licensed insolvency trustee because quite often, what a proposal is going to do is take that rule of 60 math, probably cut it in half or down to a third, something along those lines. So it can be a dramatic improvement. Uh, I don't think anybody should be looking at a scenario where they're paying off their unsecured debts for any greater than a five-year period. 
Okay. Now, we've only got about a minute and a half left in this, and we want to be on time. So can you sort of do a, a Reader's Digest version of the last couple of points? Because they're all very important ones. Yeah, I think these are ones that are, are so important for people to know. So we'll go a little bit quick, but on the don't side, don't borrow from family and friends, and please do not co-sign debt for anybody else or don't seek anybody else to co-sign. Uh, it adds emotional dimension to a financial transaction. And when you co-sign for somebody, you're signed to be responsible for the full amount, not just a 50-50, which a lot of people assume. So be very, very careful. Uh, what to do is to keep your RRSPs intact. So be very careful. If you've got RRSPs, you might have saved your whole working life to, to, to preserve, and you have a bunch of debt, regardless of what anybody tells you, those are fully protected assets. Just because a collection agent might say you've got to cash those in to pay me, that is a complete lie. The government changed the laws more than 10 years ago to protect all RRSPs, even in a bankruptcy. So never cash in an RRSP to pay debt. You're going to end up being charged taxes. You're not going to have the retirement when you need it. So that's hugely important. Uh, another don't is don't make your credit rating your highest priority. What you need to focus on is being debt free. Your credit rating will change. It can go up and down over a period of even just a couple of years. And even folks who file for bankruptcy, they can be qualifying for a mortgage as soon as two or three years after the proceeding. You will recover. You will be better off. And I'll look after the last two, which are believe that you owe it to yourself to get help and don't delay getting help. And this is how you do it. Sands and Associates, you give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 for that sit-down appointment or that Zoom appointment to look at your situation and be able to take some kind of action on it or check out their website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents here with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So we're going to talk about debt forgiveness with personal bankruptcy, and this is a real step-by-step -step process. It's a chance to understand the personal bankruptcy process from start to the finish. No doubt personal bankruptcy can offer welcome relief for anyone struggling with to uh, manageable, overwhelming debt. And Sands and Associates, licensed insolvency trustee Blair Manton, it's going to explain how personal bankruptcy works in this province, which can be different from other provinces. And he's going to take us through the general st steps in this very, very powerful legal process. So Blair, can you start with explaining how debt forgiveness works in a personal bankruptcy? Oh, certainly, Elaine. I'm really pleased to be discussing this today because, as with many things, when you find yourself in debt, it's really hard to you know just cut through all of the the clutter that's out there and really understand well what are the rules, what are the regulations, and how do you actually implement a solution. So, what personal bankruptcy is, it's a legal solution that allows an individual to have their debts forgiven. So, most people generally understand that you file for bankruptcy because you have too much debt, and at the end of the bankruptcy, ideally, all of that debt is gone and you get to start again. So, what happens when you declare bankruptcy, you get immediate debt relief. So it means nobody can call you, harass you, take you to court, or continue to get any payments from you. And then you work through the process with your trustee to receive an official discharge, which is essentially when the debts get released from you. And once you're discharged from bankruptcy, all of those debts that were frozen the day that you started the bankruptcy, they are gone. They're eliminated once and all, full and final uh, reduction. Um, if you're struggling to make your payments and you find that other options aren't suitable, uh, bankruptcy could be the best option to help you move forward. Bankruptcy is never your first option. It's never when you st the one you start with, um, but it is absolutely a great last resort for individuals when they've tried things that just haven't worked. And, you know, there are advantages to going through a bankruptcy. So a lot of people just see, you know, the stigma
recommend the idea that, well, I've never seen myself going bankrupt. I don't even want to explore that idea. Um, but some of the advantages here, they really do merit some consideration. So if you file for bankruptcy, well, first off, you get virtually all of your debts wiped out. And a lot of people are surprised to know how wide-ranging that is. So you can get rid of credit cards, taxes, amounts owing to the government for student loans or to private lenders for student loans, all of that. Um, even things like CERB overpayments, all of those pandemic benefits that went out that the government is now asking for some of those back. We can help with that. Um, lines of credit, payday loans, it's just about every debt that you're facing. Um, even if you had a business that unfortunately you had to shut down and now you're being held accountable for some business-related debt, um, that can be dealt with in a personal bankruptcy. So one of the big advantages is you get rid of your debt. Um, another advantage, and this is sometimes surprising to people, is that you get protection for you and for your assets because creditors are not able to ask you for payments. They're not able to continue charging interest or other fees. And if they were about to take you to court, start to seize your wages, or even if that already has started to happen, bankruptcy brings all of those proceedings to a grinding halt instantly upon filing all of those things that are being done against you have to stop. Um, and, you know, the last point here, so you get rid of the debt, you get protection. Um, the last point is that you really get an improvement to your household budget because, in general, filing for bankruptcy is going to cost you a whole lot less than typically what you've been paying on the debts. And most of the time, bankruptcy is over in as little as nine months from the day that you signed the document. So it's not the six, seven, or ten years you may have heard about. It's for the majority of people, it's over in nine months. Okay. So what do you have to have in place to be eligible to be able to declare personal bankruptcy? Yeah, the, the first step is, I like to think the most important one, is just to make sure you're getting the right advice from the right professional. So what you have to do is you have to connect with a like, licensed insolvency trustee. Um, and you may have seen, you know, if you're watching US TV, there's bankruptcy attorneys, bankruptcy lawyers, a bunch of people out there that could help with the bankruptcy. Well, that's not a thing in Canada. In Canada, it's only a licensed insolvency trustee can help you with a bankruptcy filing. And if you deal with Sands and Associates, uh, we serve residents all across BC. Um, all of our services are available in person or virtually. The vast majority of clients these days, even post-COVID, are choosing to meet us electronically via Zoom, Teams, um, Google, whichever it is. Um, and they're even signing documents online as well. So everything that you need to do to release, to release your debt, you don't need to drive um, you know, across town even to do it. You can generally do things virtually. And what's important to know, too, is you don't need any sort of referral to be connected to a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, you can phone us up at any point. You can go online to the website um, and you get free confidential consultation. There's no fee. There's no one that needs to refer that, yes, you can see the specialist. You can come and see the debt specialist, which is the licensed insolvency trustee at any time. Got it. So uh, before we go through the steps, um, I just want to remind the listener that if you already know uh, that the next step is to take some action, uh, whether it be going on the website, sans-trustee.com, or calling them and setting up an appointment to talk further about it, uh, it's very easy to do. I'm going to give you the phone number. It's 1-800-661-3030. And as Blair mentioned, uh, there are offices all over British Columbia. Okay, so can we go through some of the steps? And I know there's three very specific ones that you've outlined. Um, what's the first one that people need to think about? 
Yeah, the first one is the one <clears throat> that generally people really languish about first, and they suffer for far too long. So if we can shorten this amount of suffering, I'd be really happy. It's reaching out for help. So from our research, we found only 5% of people reach out for help right away when they know they have a death problem, which means 95% of people suffer for far too long, in my, in my opinion. So the first step is to have your free confidential debt consultation. And what will happen when you connect with friends and associates, you're going to meet with a non-judgmental debt help expert who's going to talk about your situation. So we're going to discuss about your objectives, your issues that you want to resolve, uh, what are your debts, what's your household income, um, who lives at home, what are their requirements, and any other details relevant to your circumstances. What's great when you meet with a licensed insolvency trustee, and this is built into our code of ethics and standards of professional practice, is we discuss all of your options with you. So we'll review things like, hey, a do-it-yourself strategy. If it's a small problem, we think you can you know, get out of it with some budgeting and maybe uh, a different approach. We're going to tell you about that. We're going to look at all options, legal, um, informal, borrowing, non-borrowing. And what's interesting, too, is a lot of people, when they come in to make that trustee, uh, to attend that trustee consultation, they've delayed so long because they think, you know, when you see a trustee, the only thing they're going to be able to offer you is a bankruptcy, and they've been doing whatever they can to avoid that. And it's really interesting, the number of people that come in, and when we can explain to them all of their options, you know, there's definitely about 15 or 20 percent of people that do require a bankruptcy, and we're happy to help with. But for a a lot of folks, the vast majority of people these days, were able to help them with great options like a consumer proposal. So reaching out to a trustee, you start to open that door to access all of the options that are available to you, and you get to do so with a qualified, empathetic professional who's going to be at no charge to you during that consultation. Okay. So let's say we've sat down and we've discussed my situation completely, and it looks like, yeah, bankruptcy is the uh, process or the best one that's available to me. Uh, what's the next step? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So generally, there's three steps. So the first is you've come in for that consultation or done it online virtually. The second step um, is that you start to complete an application form. You start to send us some information so we can prepare the legal documents for you to file. So if you decide to move ahead with the bankruptcy, we've got to prepare a number of documents, and it's all based on the information that you give us. So we've got an information form. It's an online web-based form. It's secure. You can upload documents directly to it. And it's all the common sense documents you would think someone would need to help you with your debt. So we need information about who you owe money to and how much. We need to understand your assets, what you own, what their values are, so we can get a sense of your net worth. Uh, we need to look at the monthly budget of the household, and then also just confirm that everything is, is up to date with taxes. So all pretty straightforward, common sense pieces of information that we would need. And then generally, once you've started to complete that application form and provided your information, we'll meet for a second time to review everything, to say, yep, we asked you for these items. We've got these in. It looks like we got one notice of assessment. We just need another year for that, if that's a specific case. But you don't need to worry if paperwork is not your strong suit. Um, our approach is to work collaboratively with you. So every client that we work with, they start off with either a trustee or an estate manager, but they're always supported by a role that we've called a client support specialist, who is your person who's going to be able to help you, you know, get documents PDF'd or converted or, um, you know, do whatever it takes to get the information into us uh, in the manner that's going to work for you and be straightforward. So after we've got all the information and have that great second meeting to review, um, then we're ready for step three. And that is? 
signing your bankruptcy documents and taking the first step to a financial fresh start. So what happens once we've prepared those documents, and it doesn't take long, once we have uh, the complete information that we need, if it's an urgent situation, we can have the documents ready inside of 24 hours. Sometimes we can even go from initial consultation. If everyone has all their information ready to go and their wages are being taken, you know, two days from now, we'll file a bankruptcy the next day to make sure that that can stop. So you'll sit down or meet virtually with us to review all of the documents. And then as soon as you've signed the documents, we register the bankruptcy electronically, which means it's immediately effective uh, with a, in, a portion of Industry Canada called the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy. They oversee all the trustees, every filing in Canada, and they make sure that everything is done according to, to plan, according to legislation, and everyone gets the right outcome. So once the three meetings are done, your bankruptcy is signed, it's filed, it's official, and you get the immediate debt relief provisions. Um, I think it's really important for, for folks to know, and I hope everyone that I, I deal with feels that, that they're in the driver's seat. So we never push people to say, well, let's get this thing signed tomorrow, we've got a target to make. No, it's all about about if you need immediate help, we're here for you. Some people are on a journey where they want to explore a bunch of options and it's going to take them some time to make that decision. That's okay. We're here every step of the way. Um, But again, we can work quickly. The average is usually about a couple of weeks from our first consultation to when the person is sitting down and ready to sign the documents. Okay. So now now that I've filed or now that those papers have all been filed, signed and filed, and you talked about this earlier, too, that, that there's a lot of misconceptions about how long the whole bankruptcy takes or the process takes. Can we spend the last minute or so talking about that in this segment, Blair? Yeah, yeah, let's knock out some of these misconceptions because, you know, absolutely people think that bankruptcy is, you know, um, something that's going to define them for the rest of their lives and it's going to take forever to get through and they won't recover. All of that is completely false. So for 80% of people who choose to file a bankruptcy, it's over in nine months. So nine months from the day they've signed those documents to the day they're receiving what's called the certificate of discharge from the trustee, which means that all of their debts are legally discharged full and forever. They can never again come back. Um, for individuals who are not not low income. So for someone who's, who's low income, bankruptcy runs for nine months. For someone who's not low income, they're asked to spend an extra year in bankruptcy. So it goes to 21 months. So the longest term it would be is 21 months. The vast majority of cases, it's as short as nine months. And it's nowhere near, again, the multiple years. Um, you know, an important thing for people to know, too, is that people recover from bankruptcy very quickly. So it's not uncommon for me to get calls from somebody who was two, two or three years ago, went through a bankruptcy proceeding, and now they're at the mortgage broker's office and they're getting approved, um, they're able to buy real estate, it can be as little as a two to three year recovery cycle after a bankruptcy. And I know in, in closing too, and, and just a few seconds left, it's there's a great deal of counseling involved as this person, as a person goes through the process. That's such an important part. There's two in-depth financial counseling sessions. They're each about 45 minutes in length and they're all focused on making sure that you've got the right tools to succeed in the future financially. I really think it's important for folks to remember that. Also, uh, what's important for you to remember is the phone number if you want to get started, 1-800-661-3030, or visit the website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. In this segment, we're going to talk about two things, consumer proposal or a consolidation alone. Which is better? Uh, we're going to learn about the advantages of consolidating 
debt with a consumer proposal instead of a loan. So consolidating your debt can be a great way to get a handle on repaying multiple balances, as well as cut down the costs of borrowing. But lots of consumers don't know it's possible to consolidate your debt without borrowing more money. Um, and that's why Blair's here. He's going to tell us how a consumer proposal works to consolidate debt and how this pretty unique consolidation solution compares to the standard consolidation loan that we've heard so much about. So, Blair, can you start by talking a bit about when debt consolidation is helpful in managing your debt? Like, where do, where do people need to be in order to start this process? Yeah, you know, every situation obviously is unique, but depending on the options available to you, the terms of the debts that you have, there can be a lot of benefits to help you better manage your debt when you consolidate or put things together. Uh, a couple of these benefits are reducing the number of debt payments you need to juggle each month. So very easy to miss a payment if they're happening all the times through the month and there's a bunch of them to keep track of. If it's just a single payment per month, well, that's a whole lot more simple. Um, ideally, freeing up some monthly cash flow. So typically the idea of consolidating is not only is it a little more simple, but hopefully you're going to save a little bit more money by reducing or perhaps even eliminating interest costs, depending on how you choose to consolidate. Uh, the idea is, again, that you will save money in the longer term by having those lower interest rates. Uh, and then finally, getting a clear timeline on when your debts are going to be paid off. So it's very easy to fall into what we call the minimum payment trap on, on credit cards, where you're just paying the minimums each month, your credit rating looks great, but gee, you look at your statement and you say, okay, or you see that there's a disclosure that, hey, that $6,000 debt is going to keep you um, in these payments for over four decades. So at least <laughs> when you're doing a consolidation uh, method, uh, you typically have a good sense of, okay, this loan or, or whatever mechanism is going to go down to zero at a certain point and you have a goal that you can work towards. You've said before, too, that actually um, making the grade to use a consolidation loan or get a consolidation loan, qualify for one, can be pretty tough. Yeah, and that's I really want to, to kind of communicate today that when we say consolidation, there's a couple ways you can come at consolidation. Most people think when we talk about debt consolidation, we mean a debt consolidation loan, and we're going to talk about that for sure today. But another method of consolidating debts is by filing a consumer proposal, which is not a loan. It's not something you need to qualify for. So speaking first about consolidation loans and financing, what happens when you're taking out a consolidation loan is you're simply changing who you owe money to. So at best, you're going to get a lower interest rate and a more affordable payment. But the downside, as you alluded to, Elaine, is it can be very difficult to qualify for a consolidation loan for many people. So because the bank is lending you money to pay off each of the individual creditors, they want to have a good sense they're going to be able to get that money back. So oftentimes, the qualification criteria can be quite difficult. They would want a high credit score uh, compared to a moderate amount of debt. They'd want to see a consistent income. And oftentimes, they'll really only be willing to approve if you're willing to pledge an asset or have a cosign or guarantee the full debt in the event you're not able to repay it. And both of these are very risky strategies that we typically recommend against or at least recommend getting good advice, having your eyes wide open before you do decide um, you know, to pledge an asset or get a cosigner involved. Uh, and if you do decide to apply for a consolidation loan, you've got to make sure you fully understand the terms. The interest rates can vary so 
so significantly. I've seen consolidation loans in and around high single digits or low teens of interest rates. I've also seen them at 45% interest rates. And, you know, to think you're consolidating your, your debts together, but you're paying, you know, close to 50% interest in a year, uh, you know, that's not a recipe for, for long-term success, certainly. Now, this contrasts against the consumer proposal where the benefits of consolidation are hugely increased. So when you do a consumer proposal, there's no borrowing needed. So the ongoing interest charges are completely taken out of the equation. Um, and you can, in almost every case, cut down quite significantly how much of your total debt you have to repay in order to have the debts considered paid in full. You can use a consumer proposal to manage just a single debt, but it's often the case it's a simplification exercise. It's putting all of the debts together, stopping all of the interest, and reducing the debt down to what you can afford. And just a, a couple of examples here, because I think they're, they're rather sobering. Uh, if you were dealing with $10,000 of debt, which is certainly uh, not any to sneeze at, but not the situation where it's automatically bankruptcy is the right option. If you said, okay, they've got this $10,000 of debt, it's at a reasonable credit card interest rate of 18%. I know it sounds crazy, but credit cards can get a whole lot higher than that. So 18% is pretty standard. If you wanted to repay that debt uh, without consolidation over a three-year period, you'd have to pay about $360 a month um, over that three-year period. So you stop using the card altogether and you're asked to pay 360 per month uh, to clear that balance in three years. Okay, that's our starting point. Now, on that balance, if you chose to get a consolidation loan to pay off that debt instead, you might be able to achieve an interest rate of 12%, a whole lot better than 18, still not zero. Um, what would that do to your payments? A little less than you would think. It actually only brings it down to $330 per month um, over three years. So from 330, th sorry, from 360 to 330, that's not life-changing. Obviously, it's a little bit better room in your budget each month. Uh, but just consolidating in that situation to me doesn't make a huge night and day difference. Uh, what does make a big night and day difference is if you chose to file a consumer proposal. So that same debt of $10,000, if it was reduced by 40%, which is actually on the low side, often we can achieve a greater reduction than that by just being conservative in this example, you would repay $6,000 to settle the debt in full. And that's inclusive of any professional fees, anything else that, that's going on, all you would pay is $6,000 over a three-year period. That would mean your payments are $165. So literally half of even what a consolidation loan would be. And you know, my question to anyone listening who thinks that that might apply to them, you know, what could you do with that extra $165 per month? There's probably a lot of things that that would open up in your budget. Okay. I want to skip right to the, to the, the question, Blair. Uh, how, could, how could somebody get more information about consumer proposals, one, and then estimate what the consumer proposal would cost? I mean, I think we've really covered the consolidation loan idea, and I really want you, know, to, you to be able to spend some time in this segment on, on the consumer proposal and, and, how, and not just how it works, but the estimate of, of somebody just trying to figure it out, what, what that would cost them. Sure. So with a consumer proposal, the way you figure out how much it will cost you is you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee and we do an initial consultation to just figure out, well, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case, if someone were to file for bankruptcy, uh, we have to look at what would be repaid on those debts. And if someone doesn't have real estate, um, doesn't have a whole lot of assets, oftentimes someone who's filing for bankruptcy, there's not going to be any recovery on the debt or it might be five or 10 cents on the dollar. So whatever that is, we have to do a little bit 
better than that in a consumer proposal. So if a bankruptcy was going to recover, say, 10 cents or 15 cents in the dollar, uh, what we would say in a consumer proposal is, okay, whatever your debts are, let's offer them 20 cents in the dollar or 25 cents on the dollar or something like that. Again, it's not the case you have to come up with any lump sum of money. It's not the case you have to have a great credit rating to do this. All you have to do is meet with a licensed insolvency trustee. And literally in that first meeting, we're going to be able to figure out what the proposal could look like based on the information you'll share with us about your assets, your liabilities, about the budget. Uh, as a trustee, it's incredibly important if we file a consumer proposal that we've stress tested it, that we've looked at the budget, we've made sure it's going to be affordable for the household. It's not going to put them into undue hardship given the, the family situation who lives at home and what are their situations. So when you sit down with a trustee, it's a completely tailored experience of figuring out what the proposal structure might look like. And then you get the option to see whether it's something you want to go forward with. Um, I think the second point you asked me there, Elaine, is the credit rating impact. Um, so a proposal is going to be reflected on your credit report for the earlier of six years from the day you sign it or three years from when you pay it off. So if a proposal was for five years, literally a year after you finish those payments, it's gone off your credit report as if it never happened. And what's really important to realize is you can start rebuilding your credit immediately. As soon as you've filed a consumer proposal, you can start getting a secured credit card, start rebuilding that rating back up. So in general, it's a much better alternative to file a proposal, have the credit rating impact for a short period of time, but then be that much better in the future. And I just want to throw in as we wrap this up that the licensed insolvency trustee is the only one who can do a consumer proposal for you. There's nobody else that can do it. And, and I think that's just so important to remember for folks. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. You've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands and Associates who are dedicated to helping you get out of debt. Check out their website, sands-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. We're going to talk about debt smart budgeting tips and troubleshooting. Budgeting tips. I think this is going to be a good segment. You're going to learn some tips as well as how to troubleshoot or what Blair looks at when he is going to help you troubleshoot your, your debt situation. Um, and smart tips for balancing what it could be your household budget. Uh, could be if you're super stressed about money and where you are stressed about it and how. And if you need to go beyond the budget and get some real professional help to manage the debt, if that's the biggest thing that's on your mind and a big worry. So Blair, let's start. What are some of the main ways a budget can help us manage personal finance as well? And I'm sure it goes beyond just uh, numbers on a page. Yeah, it, it's hard to overstate the importance of a budget. You know, a budget really is a cornerstone uh, of you being in control of your money. And it's such a useful tool for meeting your goals. You know, a budget really is, it's a plan, it's a story, it's a path, it's a way of you getting to a certain destination. You know, you're in charge of your money. So a budget is not about having to follow rules that you don't like to deprive yourself. It's about planning and making thoughtful decisions about your money. It's not getting to the end of the month saying, you know, where did all my money go? I just have no idea. It's being at the end of the month. And even if you're in the same situation, there's nothing left over. You at least know you have transparency on, on where things went in that past month. You know, for some people, budgeting might never be their favorite thing to do, um, but it is something that I encourage everyone to invest some time in. And I do mean everyone. Um, I meet people anywhere from, you know, very low income seniors who might be just on social assistance uh, to individuals who are making, you know, 10 or $15,000 a month in some case. Uh, and I've learned 
that it's possible to spend every dollar of net income if you're not careful about your budget. So there can be some really positive outcomes to having a well-functioning budget, um, you know, having a plan that's going to help you reach your goals, uh, curbing overspending, which that also can help you avoid feeling guilty about purchases. So if there's a purchase that you know you really want, putting it in your budget, saving up the money ahead of time, when you actually make that purchase, that's going to be night and day difference to just putting down the card, kind of covering your eyes for a minute, and then getting that shock when you look at the end of the month and see the bill. There can be a lot less worry and uncertainty of where your money needs to be. Uh, and it's a great way of starting positive habits and getting momentum as you see progress. Uh, what I love to hear from some of my clients, because especially if you file for a bankruptcy, every month you have to keep a budget. That's one of your key duties. Sometimes people start to look forward to checking in on that budget and seeing how they're doing. Are the savings going up? Are the debts going down? Are they saving money for a purchase? So oftentimes, even after somebody finishes uh, either a bankruptcy or a proposal, that budgeting skill that they developed when they were working with us, um, that can be something that just continues to pay dividends later on in life. Uh, and the last thing is just the whole idea of self-care. And there's a lot of really good communications out there about how important it is to take care of your mental health and your physical health. Uh, to me, a budget is one of the best things you could do for your financial health. And certainly that's going to have impacts on other aspects of your life. Excellent. I, I, the thought that, that it was far more than just numbers on a page, um, I would think there'd be some relief and some, some relaxing. It's like, oh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on schedule. I'm on score here to make it through to the end of the month or the end of the year. I think that would provide lots of, uh, lots of relief for folks. Yeah. And a budget is not something you're preparing to submit somebody. Well, I guess when you're a client of Sands, you're submitting the budget to us, but trust me, we're sure. nervous about it. But typically a budget is something that you're doing for yourself. Um, so, you know, whatever format is going to work best for you, there's a couple of really key aspects that I think should be a hallmark of every budget. And we'll talk about those, but essentially, you know, your budget might look a whole lot different than mine and the next person from a format to a content point of view. And that's okay. In many ways, just the exercise of doing the budget can be as valuable as the budget at the, at the end of the day, going through and having to ask yourself those questions, make some trade-offs and having a plan. You know, there's a lot of value just in the process of things. Yeah, so the key, I think, the, yeah, oh, go ahead. agreed. And the only other thought I wanted to throw in there was there's so much of this, of our day-to-day -day lives that are not in, that aren't in our control at all. Mm -hmm. But a budget is something that is in our control and that in itself might be a bit of grace for someone. Oh, exactly. That, that's a great point, Elaine. Uh, in terms of how you actually break build your budget to start uh, you yeah. know, a couple things first off you just got to track your spending so keep track of all that you spend for a month there's no right wrong no judgment you just got to be truthful if you spent it write it down if you didn't obviously don't but you know don't start picking and choosing I'm going to write this down versus not to create this budget that's based more in fiction than in fact uh, you want to note your fixed expenses that you can't control so things like your rent um, other definite bills every month as well as your variable costs things like groceries entertainment so you want to categorize things as, as you go through and list your spending into some broad categories. Uh, you want to also start a list of irregular expenses, things like maybe an annual insurance premium or some semi-regular costs like a car repair or maintenance. This can trip a lot of people up where they think their budget is perfect every month, but then there's something that they know is going to happen once or twice a year. It's not built into the budget. And when that happens, it just creates a big hole. So the first step is to track the spending. And then the second step is to do the math and to get it in writing. So add up your take-home earnings, and I recommend you be conservative here. If you're normally paid two times in a month, but this was a month where you had a three-pay period, why don't you use the income from your two-pay month, build in a little bit of slack there rather than the alternative. 
and then you want to set down your income and your monthly expenses in writing. Now, this can be a spreadsheet, it can be a piece of paper, a notebook, or an app. There's a lot of different things that are out there, some really great free budget tools online, but whatever works for you is what's important. Um, and then again, looking at your annual cost and dividing those by 12. So if it's the annual insurance premium, taking that in every month, making sure that's into your budget. And if you really want to get sophisticated, the best thing that I recommend is you start doing some automatic transfers for things like your regular costs or for your savings. Just tell your bank on a certain date, pull this amount out for long-term costs, pull X amount out for savings. You know, there's a budget that you can start to feel some pride in. As you know, every month you're moving money to the right categories that's going to leave you uh, to be able to cover those irregular costs. Okay, so I want to skip to the idea that let's say I'm doing all this, but but I, I, there there's there may be some red flags there that I'm missing. What are those red flags that we need to pay attention to to then know that we are in trouble and we need to do something different? Yeah, the number one red flag is if there's no room for savings. So savings is often the first thing that's cut when a budget's tight, but it's so important that you at least have some money set aside in savings. This can be a huge difference if you have to cover a financial emergency instead of relying on credit. So even if you're focused on paying off debt, your budget should still have some room for a modest savings account. And if savings is just not something that you can contemplate, then I would suggest, okay, this budget, it might be a little bit um, you know, too on the precipice of something that's just not going to work for you, you may want to get some advice and some help. Uh, another big hallmark is if your expenses are outpacing income. So a pretty significant portion of our client base, they needed our help because the cost of living just kept escalating beyond their ability to increase their income. So you want to ask yourself some questions if you find your expenses are exceeding your income. You know, what can I do? Are there any realistic options to increase your income? Which expenses are causing you the most damage? And be aware if your budget is really strained because of all the interest costs that you're paying on your debt, uh, well, certainly you can mitigate that by working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So really looking at if there is an imbalance, what's causing it, and what are the alternatives you have to deal with that imbalance. Now, I know we've talked about minimum payments, monthly payments, such a bad idea. Don't even do that. Uh, what about the rule of 60? Does that help in this, in this or in organizing this budget and figuring it out? Yeah, I think that can be helpful. So the idea of the minimum payments is if you're built into your budget, all you can afford to pay in your debts is minimum payments. You're really not getting out of debt anytime soon. You need to do something different. A more reasonable amount to build into your budget is however much your debt is divided by 60. That should be the minimum amount you're able to pay on your debts to actually get out of debt in a reasonable amount of time. And if that value is so high, could never fit into your budget, that's a huge indication you'd benefit from at least contemplating what options a licensed insolvency trustee could assist you with. Great. Take debt out of the equation altogether. And by, and by connecting with somebody from Sands and Associates, they really are the debt help experts to talk about your options in that free, first, confidential, non-judgmental debt consultation. Uh, your debt-free future could be closer than you think, regardless of your situation. Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, or visit their website. You can also uh, get set yourself up with a, an appointment through the website at sands-trust. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.